Hey everybody, welcome to Video Night. This episode will be discussing the movies based on Saturday Night Live sketches. I'm your host, Michael, on the other side with me is Tony. Hey. We are here basically giving a little promotion, a little uh, pilot episode for our new show, Scholars of Sketch. We'll be discussing 45, is it 45? Yeah, 45 years, I almost lost track, of Saturday Night Live and uh, discussing the shows that competed with them throughout the years. Uh, that'll be launching in January, so just check out this network. You'll find the episodes there. And uh, so basically, going through the run, we have our favorites. We'll mention all of them briefly because there's a few that I haven't been able to see. And they're really hard to find, or I just didn't want to. <laughs> I'm talking about you. It's Pat. <laughs> Still never seen that one. I, I, I have a morbid curiosity. I kind of want to see it because I did, I did enjoy the sketch. You know, but even though I, even though I've heard it's a shit show, I still want to see it anyway. Yeah, I have it around here somewhere. I'll load it up for you. It's on. It's actually it's legal, people. It's on one of my Mill Creek discs. They're not copyright protected. I'll send it to them. Uh, so basically, it all begins. Now, this one is interesting because, um, I believe, Lauren Michaels does not own the rights to the Blues Brothers. So yes, this is based on a sketch, but it is not produced by Lauren Michaels. So Blues Brothers is a weird anomaly in this whole thing. Uh, that is strange. I, I definitely do remember that being being a sketch first before before it was a movie. I mean, I you really call it a sketch. It was more like a musical performance, right. really kind of like in character. You know what I mean? So I never really consider that like a full blown sketch. You know what I mean? So I, I mean, I guess technically it's still Saturday Live intellectual property, but it's yeah, it's more of like Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi just kind of ripping in a blues getup as they're like you know. Uh, incognito. Right, because I don't remember them actually having characters. Like, they didn't have lines of dialogue. They would just come out and perform like that. Yeah, because I remember, like, they did another, like, musical performance where they were, like, dressed as bees or something. Yeah, I remember that. And that never... And the that bees never made brothers. Into, yeah, that never made its way into, like, theaters, which, you know, which is ridiculous. But Blues Brothers wasn't going to kind of make sense. But. Yeah, and... I, this is a massive it was just so big and i loved it when i first saw it i saw it very late in the game i think i saw it in the mid 90s um okay i get the appeal but it's always just shocked me that it was like a hundred million dollar movie you know you know, you know what i realized it was such a huge budget is like when they're driving through the mall yeah and there was that giant that giant scene at the end where all the cop cars are flying on top of each other i was like then they're like wait a minute, this costs a lot of money. Everything else, you can kind of like, yeah, I can see that. Like, they don't have to spend that much money. But those two scenes alone must have cost a fortune. Oh, totally. <laughs> those had to be so expensive to shoot. Well, apparently Landis was a nutcase, too, because he wouldn't follow a proper procedure when it came to stunts. And so people were always, like, in, you know, really close to getting killed. And they're like, well, how do you want to do this? He's like, I want to blow it up with real dynamite. He's like, that's not how we do it. He goes, yeah, but I want to see it blown up with dynamite. Yeah, but in movies, Mr. Landis, we use special uh, explosions that, you know, time it so no one gets hurt. He goes, yeah, but it's not going to look the same. Give me dynamite. So they use dynamite, and people nearly got impaled by flying wood. Oh, my God. Yeah, we tend to use pyrotechnics, not actual. Yeah. We don't, yes. use C, we don't use C4 for our movies here, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, it would bite him in the ass on Twilight Zone when he got, uh, he told the helicopter to get too close and a crash ended up killing the star and two little kids. Yeah, that fucked him up for a little bit. But, um, yeah, Blues Brothers is more of a musical with... It's not like a normal musical where... You know how musicals, they break out into song as if it was still part of the character? This is a, like a, almost a performance, a concert film that just happens to have acting yeah. pieces around it. 
there is a couple of choreogra- choreographed like musical scenes, but it just does seem a little more organic than your typical musical. Right. It's like, hold on, let's just break into this whole dance choreographed dance. That is like, true, though. The Aretha Franklin scene, though, is pure musical. That breaks out into yeah. the dancing. And, okay, so I can't tell you exactly also, what Blues Brothers is then. Yeah, also the, the Ray Charles scene where they're in the music when they're in the music shop and everybody's dancing in the street. It just carries out in the street. It's like, you know what I mean? So there, there's a bit of that there, too. There's like a handful of them there throughout, but it's like peppered out throughout. It's not, so it's not exactly a musical where there's like, like you know, typically, you're typically a musical. There's one of those like every 10 minutes. Right. You know I mean? There's like, you know. And what was I thinking? Uh, uh, oh, dang it. This is, um, I guess it's, yeah, it's considered a road movie also. So there's not a lot of those like where it's a musical, unless you're a band on the road, which was, I guess that was kind of an 80s thing too, because Crossroads was like that with uh, Ralph Macchio. Um but it's it's so interesting seeing the energy of Jim or John Belushi, and it, it seems like the only movie that really captured it correctly. Because I'm thinking of his other movies, and they were either bombs or somehow they miscast him. This is, really is his only pure performance where it works with the film, not against it. Well, I mean, he was pretty great in Animal House, but um, and uh, he was pretty good. I mean, even though he had a small role in like 19, what, 1942, is that it? 41, yeah. You know what I mean? But one, sorry. He was, he was. I mean, he was pretty much. He was like, like the the, the same character in um, Animal House as he was in the um, in the freaking uh, in, in like the forty one as well. But uh, I mean, he was like, uh, he was certainly more like more low key and certainly more more developed as versus how he was in Animal House, where he's kind of like all over the place. Yeah, you know just I mean? a wild man. Kind of like a a wild man. Yeah. It's just so funny just thinking about how few years we had with him and thinking about Farley. And, you know, uh, John Candy, I guess we got more time with. But the guys who were just unhealthy and they lived to excess in one way or another and just decades lost uh, of movies and TV performances that we could have got out of them. Yeah. I mean, I don't You wonder how, like, if Belushi's, like, um, trajectory would have been similar to, like, if, say, Eddie Murphy's. With like the peaks and valleys, because you know he was kind of tapering off when he did what neighbors, you know what I mean? Yeah, he did neighbors you know. and Continental Divide, and neighbors did okay, but the critics hated it, and then Continental Divide just it tanked. And that was like his pure like dramatic. Yeah. He tried to be a romantic lead, and I I've never seen it, so I don't know if it works. Yeah, so I mean, it's hard to know the same staying power. You know, he was just. He was just like at his at his pinnacle back then. We lost him. Same with like uh, Chris Farley, even though his even though his career was dipping a bit too. He did yeah. like Beverly Hills Ninja. And, uh, Almost like, heroes. Oof. Yeah. So yeah, that one. It's so funny that after that there weren't any more SNL movies. I don't know if they attempted it or they just didn't have the characters. And then Lorne Michaels left the show to go produce movies, but he never produced a movie mm-hmm. for six years that he was I gone. He never got one done. I think it's a little bit of like, like I don't think that, I, you know, when I think about the, the time in between, I don't think the characters were strong enough where they could have made a movie based on some of the characters. Um, there was a lot of good characters like but between then, but I just, I, I can't see that working as a movie. Then again, I couldn't see Pat working as a movie either. Yeah. Then, but then here we are. Or, or Stuart, you know what I mean? But, right. The, uh, so there's a, there's a long, long gap where there's no movies based on SNL. And right. I think 
I think they attempted a few, like with the church lady and stuff like that, but just none of, them, none of them ever go, the pathological liar. I think they were trying to make it to a movie. And then Lauren finally got Wayne's World going. And I forgot until I rewatched the show, because I'm watching all the all the episodes, what a phenomenon Wayne's World was. And that was clearly the obvious go-to for the first return, you know, uh, basically the first branded SNL movie. Well, I mean, it kind of makes sense. They were because they were kind of like it was like a show within a show. Because you know what I mean? Yeah. So you just kind of have to just expand that beyond, and like you know, you could you could just make it. I mean, it's a slacker doing the show in his basement, and then you go, you pretty easy to just imagine how a slacker would go about it the rest of the day. Right. It's not just a one high, note. High a lot of the problems too. with the, the Saturday Live stuff is that it's one note. And I and if they had gone with the pathological liar first movie, I think that would have been the end of the SNL movies because it's just a one note thing. Whereas Warning's World, yes, it was about a show shot in a basement, but they built their characters, they built their world out. They talk about stuff that happened outside that basement. So yeah, that that actually does make complete sense. Now I think you put, you could have made a movie based on the Gap Girls if they weren't called the Gap Girls. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because they couldn't have licensing to do a whole movie based upon that. They just you have to be, you would have to be called like retail worker girls and just yeah. have the same ring to it. So. But yeah. that, I mean that 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 I think they have like four sketches you know, based on like those three main characters, you know, like the the, the Farley, the Sandler, and the Spade character. And I I could see them going about like the rest of their you know day, you know, week outside of the store. Right, it would kind of be like sense. clueless then. Yeah, but just but based on the fact that they were branded as that, it was it was already you know it was it was, it was already sunk before it could even start, you know. The, um, it's funny, if you think about Wayne's World, if it had opened a year later, I don't think it would have made any money, because th- this was at the peak of, like, where hair metal and grunge were just about to switch places. And so Wayne's World oh, true, yeah. basically is the yeah. hair metal world, but it started to get on the very edge, you know, like Red Hot Chili Peppers and stuff like that, flannel. But if it had right. been, like, February of 93, I just don't think it would have hit as well. You know, that's an excellent point. I, I never thought of it that way. You're, pro- you're probably right, because it was kind of like, it was, uh, yeah, hair metal. And, like, yeah, there was some of that teased up hair in the movie, too, where it's, like, kind of, like, bangs heavy. With, yeah. Like, kind of, like, l- 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 there's some mullets going on. Yeah. And then, like, yeah, there's definitely a transition away from that, like, like the next year or two. I was just thinking, this is when we discovered Tia Carrera. She had been a few low-budget movies before this, but this is when she broke out. Yeah. And then she could actually sing. You know what? I always get I always get her and um, who's the other girl? I want to say Mia Peebles or whatever. Mia Peebles. Yeah. Was it? You want from Fame? I would get those two. I don't know. She was like a she was like a dancer girl, but I think she had like the pop song, and she was like an actress. She looked a little exotic, like Tia Carrere, so I yeah. get those two confused. Okay. But yeah. And uh, I was this one was like loaded with cameos, and it's the one the one that just absolutely kills me is Ed O'Neill as the psychotic. A uh, guy running at the uh, uh, Makitas. The is that what's called Makitas or the coffee and uh, donut place? Good question. I don't recall. Yeah, but it's it's just like those little things where the camera was talking to, or well, Wayne and Garth were talking to the camera, and it comes up to him and he's like, "Have you ever killed a man in passion?" <laughs> and the old Dennett winner <laughs> holding his blood in your hands. <laughs> so so nutty. <sighs> and I think I think the. Another favorite part of mine is the uh, reintroduction of Alice Cooper, whose career had kind of taken a dip down, and turns out he's actually legitimately funny. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. He's always been playing the character anyway. He's yeah. Always been like, you know, he's always been, like, kind of 
kind of a showman, and you know, he's uh, he's he has pretty pretty decent personality. I mean, I, he's had a talk show for the longest time, really on radio. I don't know. If he's, oh, okay. He's on, yeah, he had like he had like one of those kind of like because Nikki Six has one of those now, like the syndicated radio show where he plays music, but then he does like a little diatribe between songs and whatnot, and does the whole thing. And for a long time, he used to have one of those on one of like a syndicated one of the classic rock formats. Uh huh. Um, maybe um. Uh, what, what's what the big radio company? That Sirius does, that XM. Words. No, no, it's a terrestrial. Clear, I think it was a kid, a Clear Channel contract. Oh, okay. Like, yeah, for, for like a long time. I don't know if he still does. This was like years ago, but yeah, no. But he's always had a decent personality, so it's it's cool that he finally got a chance to showcase it. You know. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm just thinking a lot of the movies that hit big in the spring, a lot of comedies. Period. When they hit big, it's just because there's nothing else out. Or it's appealing to everybody, so you can take your family to it. I'm talking to you, Miss Congeniality. <laughs> Analyze this. It's just one of those kind of movies. But Wayne's World was such a phenomenon. They had a video game. They had books. Uh, of course, when they returned to SNL, it was huge. The album was very popular. It's yeah. just there's lots of merch, and that's when they started launching the uh, the SNL shirts again. And I remember wearing a Wayne's World and a Hans and Franz. And I think they were trying to make Hans and Franz into a movie too, but that never happened. You know what? I, I, I could see I could see that being a, a movie before I could see Pat being a movie. Yeah, like them going off to some videos. competition and embarrassing themselves or something. Right, definitely. They see, you see them on Venice Beach, maybe with some like uh, you know muscle suit muscles or something. You could see some stuff like that. I could <laughs> I could see how that that could expand in like you know into like like a, a you know into out, outside outside of the show they do you know. But uh, yeah, I I, I could I could see that almost as a bankable. Uh, bankable uh you know movie yeah so it's weird that the next one is from an old sketch so far back that in i i knew when they were talking about this it wasn't going to be a hit and they spent so much money they promoted the shit out of it coneheads i think was always destined to just have a cult following it was never going to break out the way wayne's world did yeah because it was it was so dated it's from it's from the 70s and like i don't i i mean as much as i enjoyed it i don't i don't remember being looking upon it so fondly and i'm like oh man yeah, I don't. I don't remember that for clamoring that to be brought back even back in the sketch. So I was really surprised to see it come back in the movie. Yeah, you know. And we went and saw it because I lived in a town with one theater and there was nothing to do as a teenager. So you just went and saw basically every movie. And I remember just sitting there during Coneheads, going, "Oh God, this isn't funny. This isn't working for me at all." But I know people who swear you know, by it. Oddly enough, I saw it for for Chris Farley because I know he was dating the one Conehead. Yeah. And then I saw some of the exchanges with the daughter. Um, and the dad, uh, which I found funny, that was in the trailer, like all the commercials, and that was pretty much the extent of it. I thought he would just have, I thought he'd be in the movie more. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I kind of saw it based on the strength of Chris Farley, and it was kind of like a dumb reason to see the movie. But <laughs> the uh, and then the follow up after that is Wayne's World Two, which everybody assumed was going to be massive. And this is this is uh, the winter where they had Sister Act Two, Adam's Family Values, and Wayne's World Two, and everybody assumed all of them would be a hit. What they didn't expect is that Mrs. Doubtfire would open the week before any of those movies and just clean up for the whole winter. Blow things out of the water for sure, yeah. Still never seen it. Never seen Mrs. Doubtfire. No interest. I saw it. The only reason I saw it is I went on a date to see that. Okay. I've only been on a handful of movies on dates, and that happened to be one of them. And I was like, and it was decent. I didn't find it as hilarious as my date did. She was like wet, laughing like it was there are some amusing scenes, but yeah. You know. But it's just I find Wayne's World two to actually be better than the first one. No, the plot isn't very revolutionary. It's basically the plot of the first movie just set at a, a Wayne stock, 
a concert. Yeah, but the cameos are great. The jokes are funnier. It just the timing's better. It's directed by one of the guys I, I, who worked I thought, on. I, yeah, like like the comedic writing was awesome. It was really good. I remember. I remember. I remember laughing harder at the second one than I did the first one. I mean, when the first one was great, you know. Yeah. And apparently there was a huge problem between Mike Myers and uh, Dana Carvey. They didn't get along while making the first movie because Mike Myers decided he needed absolute control. He drove the writers crazy. Penelope Spears, the director, was just constantly arguing with him, and Dana was just miserable. But, you know, you hand yeah. out a huge paycheck, and it's a guaranteed, well, in quotation marks, guaranteed box office hit. Yeah, Dana Carvey signed it's up so, for it. It's so funny what, what to learn, like, in retrospect. I mean, I remember back then, because Mike Myers, like the, like the, he, he's always smiling in everything he does. He seems like the most fun-loving guy. And I hear he's such a prick to work with. I mean, yeah. I, hear, I hear he's better now. I think here he's reevaluated his life. And, like, you know, recently he's been, like, a joy to work with. But back then, I, I heard, yeah, he was just, he was such a diva. You know I mean? Yeah, and, so uh, even if the second one had been a hit, I don't know if you could talk him into doing a Wayne's World 3. But I always wonder, like, where are their lives now? Now that hair metal's no longer popular, you know, you know, they're older, did they get success? What happened with them? But I don't think it's ever going to happen. I always find that interesting, like, to be like, you know what I mean, years later, like, maybe he takes off his hat, and he just has, he's bald, but then just has, like, the hockey hair still. Yeah, still he's got, like, a bald spot in like, the back. <laughs> right, like, like one of those guys who just never wants to give up, and he's still kind of living in the past. Yep. I think that would be kind of funny. There's a guy that comes in and shops at my store, and he has nothing on top, and it's long hair on the sides and back, and I'm like, oh, so business went out because you party too much, I see. <laughs> Really embracing that mad scientist look, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a bummer that that one didn't hit. And, of course, the next few movies for both of them tanked. Dana Carvey never had a comeback, but Mike Myers, of course, had a huge comeback with uh, Austin Powers. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what's what, he had that, Dana Carvey had the one movie where he was like the Man of Mystery or something, or what was that? Oh, um, Master was, of Disguise. My sister enjoys that movie. I fucking hate it. that movie. Oh, my God. No jokes. <laughs> it was it, it wasn't great. There were a few funny parts to it. I, mean, yeah. I, I don't. I don't remember if it did great or not. But I remember. I, I remember not being as disappointed as I thought. <laughs> I, I saw. I thought as a larf. Yeah. I remember walking away from it like that wasn't as bad as I thought it'd be. it was. You can always a few parts where I, I can really laugh. You know. You can almost always tell when there's a millennial around when they'll go turtle turtle, and I was like, you were five when you saw that movie and you fell in love. <laughs> yeah, all it took for you. <laughs> um, what do we have after that? They, oh yeah, we had Pat. Um, which is a miserable experience, but I'll, like I said, I'll send it to you. Um, Stuart saves his family. Oh, another... hello. <laughs> Bailey, hello. That's my, that's my dog. He, I, as you can tell, he, he also disagrees with that. Oh, he like, okay. Uh, Stuart saves his family. I could not find. I couldn't, I could, nobody has it. It's, it's kind of depressing. Um, you know, so, so... I, I only remember like the, the one scene from the commercial where he goes, now Stuart, that's just stinking thinking. I, I, that's the only thing I remember from that. I like said, for some reason, it struck me as so funny back then. Yeah, and I think the stink was on the brand at that time because Pat bombed so hard, and I think Paramount was just like, "What do we do with the Stewart saves his family?" Because Stewart was not exactly a grade A. Uh, you know, his sketches were always towards the last of the episode. You know, the ones that are like, "Yes, they have a call following, but they're not that popular." We'll throw in a sketch here and there. Yeah. So yeah, that kind of killed the brand. But then we had a three-year gap, three and a half-year gap, and the series. Remember SNL was called Saturday Night Dead for a while, and the show wasn't funny. It was falling apart, and basically it revived itself with a whole new cast in '95. 
Yeah, so that was like, yeah, like I, I remember that pretty vividly. The year, like from like, I want to say the early '90s to mid '90s, they 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 were like, people, I remember them saying, "Oh my God, terrible now." And ever since, like you know, the, the golden cast left of like you know, uh, well, Spade was still on it, but it was like you know, um, Rock Sandler. Farley, of course, Rock and you know Sam Sandler and Farley got fired, but yeah, you know. Well, I think the minute, all those the show guys. Fell, the show fell apart the minute Phil Hartman left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he he's one of those um, he's one of those uh, versatile characters that really kind of was like the adhesive glue that kind of like held it together. Yeah, it but I think like he that. was also the discipline. Like, he was the older know. one, so he kept the other guys in line. True. Yeah. No. Yeah. He's. Well, I mean, well, he's. Then again, he started. He started his that's no career, I think, when he was like in his what late late thirties, yeah. early forties. So, you know. But so we have the whole new cast, and they worked out a few kinks. I think it took a season or two to get going. But one of the first characters to break out were the uh, what the hell were they called? The Butowski brothers from uh, Night of the Roxbury. Is that their name? I think it is. I can't remember. Okay. And I saw that one in the theater, and I thought it was it was fine. Um, but it did well, and in this at this point the budgets for these movies were fairly low. I think they're like ten to twelve million. And I think yeah. I think based on that, SNL got a contract with Paramount to do a couple more movies, and Superstar is a follow up, and that did just as well. Even though I just don't get it. I know she has a cult following. I don't get it. Yeah, I know probably you know most people disagree with me. I never really got understood why her character, why that character, that Molly Shannon's character was. As funny as it was, it, with the the Pratt Falls, and you know what I mean. It was kind of like it was kind of like one note comedy. You yeah. know it was going to happen. You know it was only a matter of time where she where her, so she throws herself in. Yeah, the, but that was a Farley. That was basically Matt Foley just uh, with a girl. Right, or like a or like Chev, very Chevy Chase. Yes, like, you yeah. know, his Pratt Falls. So yeah, it was. I, I don't see how that can extend itself to the life of the whole movie, but. Some yeah. people love it. I mean, and it was one of these, like, you can feel the Canadian in it. It was shot in, uh, I think, Toronto, and it has Tom Green, and it was directed by Bruce uh, McCullough from uh, Kids in the Hall, and it okay. has its own unique vibe. I just don't find it funny. You know what? It's, I mean, it's always one of these movies that I've only seen once that I barely remember, but for whatever reason, I only remember the one girl who was in, um, oh, she was in that one show with, um, uh, it'll come back to me later, but she just kept going like, ow, my titties. <laughs> It just made me laugh for some reason. It was so ridiculous. It was out of nowhere. It's like, my titties. <laughs> I just really like, it's one of those things that just sticks with you. Like, yeah. What? So, it was so, so preposterous. Now, the one that killed it for SNL, which I believe is, besides Wayne's World, I believe it's their best uh, movie. I absolutely love, and you do too, The Ladies' Man. That was, I, dare I say, my favorite SNL movie. I, it was just, so maybe because I went in there with such low expectations, I was I was already a big fan of the sketch. Yeah, you know what I mean. So I didn't know how good the movie was going to be, and I thought it was hilarious. Everybody else I spoke with, like who were my peers in Biloxi, Mississippi, where I lived back then, like you watch that? It <laughs> was ridiculously bad. Yeah, and it, I, it, it, it did I, so I, bad. It, it did like a third of yeah. what the other two movies did. No, it was a huge bomb, and because um, I, I guess the sketch wasn't as popular. I mean. It's it's like you, I mean, you live in like you know like a bubble with all, and only your friends like it. You assume everybody likes. It, yeah. You know what I mean, me and my friends loved like my friends from Philadelphia before I moved to Biloxi loved the sketch. We were always quoting it. You know what I mean? And then, uh, but everybody seemed to hate it. And then one of my friends who was from Nottingham, England, who uh, he just happened to be working with me in Biloxi, he was like a manager in training on loan from England. Weird thing you were doing. But 
that was like one of his favorite sketches too. And he also loved the movie. And I was like, I already know you're my best friend, man. <laughs> you're the only person that I know who like likes this as much as I do. Well, it's it's it, he wasn't as big as a name, you know. Tim Meadows had been on the show for years. I think he was around the sixth or seventh season when he did the movie, and uh, it just he, he didn't have the same cult following. But he was a glue guy too. I mean, if yeah. you want consistently he was, he was good always... performances, it's like it's like Phil Hartman. These guys show up and they do yeah. their job very well. Yeah, he was always or like a Daryl Hammond or a Chris Barnell, but yeah, yeah, he was um he was he was one of my favorite SNL characters, and he just. Yeah, a lot of funny lines. Like I remember, I can't find it on YouTube anywhere, but there were, they did this one sketch. Uh, it was called, it was based off Head and Shoulders, where, where he goes, hey, but hey, you don't have dandruff. Like, I know. You know what I mean? Remember those? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the product was called Ass Don't Stink. And he's like, and he goes, he goes to Kevin Dillon, like, but your ass don't stink. He's like, <laughs> it was, I don't remember that it one was, at all. <laughs> it, was, it, was so, it was so preposterous, and I can't find it anywhere. It was my favorite SNL commercial I've ever seen. Yeah. Only because at the same time they were, they were making fun of like the, the head and shoulders. Or maybe with sell some blue. But yeah. it was the one where it was like, well, you don't have dandruff. I said, no. Use the shampoo. The, uh, I've been watching Son of Zorn, and Tim Meadows is the co star in that. I'm like, he's always good. He never screws it up. Oh yeah, he's in um, he's in school now too, with, um, and also in the Goldberg. Oh wow, he's just prolific then, I guess. Yeah, well, he he's good at playing a principal. I, I think he was the principal in um, mean Girls. what's the movie uh, mean, mean Girls? Yeah, 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 so he's constantly playing a principal, and he's really good at it. He's like he seems like yeah, I I could see him as a principal. He's a lot of choice. Yeah, for me, I just Ladies Man is one of the only SNL movies where it's almost every joke works. It's not huge laughs, but it works. And a lot of it is based on his his character. He's so convincing of being this ridiculous and clueless to what normal behavior would be. Yeah, totally. He like uh, he's like yeah he he's just so self unaware. He's like just, just I mean he was chauvinistic from back then. He's like now it'd be re- totally ridiculous. Yeah, but that, just, that's that's the funniest part. He was just completely stuck. Totally, uh, no sense of self awareness. Yeah. The like, uh, the confident really idiot is so enjoyable. Totally. Oh yeah, that's that, that, you, you nailed it. Yeah, for sure. And it was just like, yeah, it's, it's like, and it's, it's it's hilarious. Every loss of show, he really had no other uh, set of skills. Yeah. And like him going on the interview process was oh my one god, of my favorite thing. I just remember like he had this weird obsession with Delta Burke. Like that—that's how she stayed a, whole, a household name for like another ten years because she was always popping up in that sketch. Yeah, that—that's another thing. Like Tracy Morgan was really good at that sketch too. He played like he played like a producer and the cameraman in the yes, and now part of the sketch. Uh-huh. He's like, what's, what's that girl I'm thinking of? And Stanley was like, you mean Delta Burke? He's like, yeah, that's the one. <laughs> <laughs> the way he talked. And, and the, there was that one phone call where they're just like. Uh, so uh, me and my wife have been having a lot of trouble, and uh, I mean, we're just not communicating anymore. And he goes, let me tell you what to do. You get a really fancy bottle of wine, get some candlelights going, bring her home, lay down a nice little blanket, and do it in the butt. <laughs> <laughs> it's all romantic, and then, ah, oh, you fucked it up. Yeah. Uh, I also remember when he's like, uh, going on the interview process, and he's to a Christian radio station, he's like, says you're, a, you're, you're to a dabbit? Like, Oh, that's the butt. I also like tennis. <laughs> I love the scene where he's challenging that that kind of snooty guy uh, to the you know eating the bar food. Everything's like pickled. Oh my god! Yeah. You ate that testicle. That was... That's disgusting. 
<laughs> and then he finally ends up, he's like, that, that bacon gristle lump, something like that. He's like, boy, you're going to say some shit. He's like, oh my why, God. Would you, why would you, be, why would you bottle this? I don't understand it. Why would you, <laughs> why would you preserve human shit? <laughs> I just love that movie. It's so sad that that killed the brand for so long. Yeah, Lorne Michaels has produced other movies that weren't under the SNL brand. I think, uh, what is it, Date Night and uh, a lot of the Tina Fey movies, like Baby Mama and Mean Girls. And then he did MacGruber, which has a huge fan following. I don't. I need to revisit it because I didn't find it that funny. But the one that he did that wasn't based on SNL sketch but somehow got those guys on SNL was uh, – um, shit, what's the, the one with Andy um, – uh, not pop stars. The other one before that, uh, Hot Rod. Hot Rod was good. I, I enjoyed that one too. I, I don't. I don't think it did well in the box office. No, but it's enough, huge on video. But yeah, it was really. It was, I was. Yeah, it had like the other guy from Lonely Island, um, and probably there's all three of them. I just. I just remember that like his little brother was a Lonely Island guy. Yeah. And then yeah, Bill Hader was in it. Um, Sudeikis, I think. Uh, so uh, what, yeah, uh, what's his face? Uh, Danny McBride was in it too. You know what I mean? Had, right, like, and Will Arnett. Like, uh, I mean, they, they, you had all these big names. Isla Fisher was in it, and, and well, rising right. names, I should say. And um, right. it opened up against Die Hard Four. That was counter programming. I get it, but it bombed horribly because Die Hard Four turns out was really good. You know, it's weird that that didn't have any kind of spillover success because it was about a guy trying to be a stuntman. You know what I mean? Or trying to be like in kind of an action star in Man, and it's like you know, it's like the, it's the uh, you know the, the idiot little brother to like a Die Hard Four. So yeah. like it's almost like a, 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 almost it could be considered like a companion piece. You know what I mean? But I guess nobody, I guess no one's gonna waste their money if they're gonna see one movie this week. It's gonna be that one. Yeah, so. I'm not gonna see, I'm not gonna see two movies in a week. Get out of here, man. That's crazy. But you know? it feels like in this day and age, if someone should sign a deal. Well, now they're going to have the Peacock or whatever it's called. And Comcast has its own streaming service. I, it's surprising to me that no one's gone to Lauren Michaels and said, hey, you don't have to worry about the critical reviews, the box office anymore. We'll give you $10 million per picture. We'll sign you for like four pictures. We'll give it a shot. And we'll just put it on our streaming service. I guess if he, I guess he could have like uh, original programming as well as he'd have to have his back catalog of shows. Because I don't think he would have enough strength to get enough subscribers based on potential stuff he's going to put out yeah. as of yet. So well, I mean, could you have... do another Kids in the Hall movie or bring back some classic characters? Because right now, I haven't watched SNL at all this year, but I do feel like they overhauled the whole cast, so right now they're looking for new characters to exploit. But I feel it's been a little bit since some of the classic characters you really love were on the show. Yeah, I feel like they really hit their stride in 2012, 2013. I feel like that's when they were at their best. Now they're kind of like, they're kind of on like a, I mean, they're, I mean, they like anything, they have peaks and valleys. But I think right. I think that well, was now it's almost, it's, it's so focused on what's going on in the White House that I think they lose their focus on creating original content and they're only talking about what's going on right now, which has a shelf life yeah. of like a year. But then again, it's it's a train wreck that it's hard to take your eyes off. It, it is true, yeah. But when you're on your sixth sketch of ten, and it's still about the White House and this fucking lunatic, uh, you're like, okay, I got your point. Let's get some something that's gonna last, something you could put on a best of reel. Well, it's funny. I was there was a I was watching a YouTuber who was analyzing SNL content. So he people were saying because this kid was like a super fan. I can't remember his name. Something good, and maybe it wasn't a kid. The YouTuber's name. 
but he was saying like yeah, SNL has gotten too political, but he's like, but is that really the case? And he went like through through the decades. And, oh yeah, like, it's always been. They're only sli- yeah, they're only slightly more political than they used to be. You know what I mean? But based on based on what what you're inundated with on a daily basis, I mean, yeah. you, you can't really blame the them. The material for that, writes you know? itself. <laughs> right. No, it's, yeah, this guy is a walking punchline. What do you do? Yeah. I've been going through the Clinton years of SNL, and I'm like, every other sketch is somehow associated with like Whitewater, McDougal, you know, uh, Bob Dole jokes, stuff like that. Uh, how many Ross Perot oh. sketches there were? Both, both W and H W Bush, you know. Yeah, of course. Yeah, Will Ferrell yeah. killed it with those, and Obama was. There's lots of Obama sketches, so it's nothing new. Right. I think I just feel uh, but, more uh, butthurt because I... it's a cult now. So I don't want to get too far into this, but yeah, it's. SNL has its ebbs and waves, you know, and, uh, you know, we're coming up on 45 years for a reason. No, yeah. I mean, um, and, like, you know, with differentiates, like, SNL, I mean, you know, of course, the fact that it's live, but the amount of pressure to have to do gets the thing, something that good and right in one take is, it's, it, I mean, it's, you know, I mean, people do it on Broadway all the time, but, like, when you're when being televised at the same time, that's a huge amount of pressure to be able to get that right. It's really, it's, it's, you know, yeah. it's really impressive. Like, you know, to, to remember your spots, to remember your lines, to hit every note. And in fact, it was probably rewritten an hour before you, you performed it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, don't you mean they rehearsed the thing to death all week long, but still they have each, the turnaround for each week they got to do. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. You know, when you stop and think about all the work that goes on, go goes into putting the show together, a, a, a brand new guest host, What's going to happen? Gotta, like turn and burn, turn and burn this whole thing in a week. It's right. What's going to happen when Lauren dies? Is does the show die? Because I honestly thought that he was prepping Seth Meyers to take over, and then Seth got his own talk show, and I'm like, oh, well, maybe that's not going to happen, or maybe it will. Maybe he'll leave the show. Assume, Who knows? I got to assume there's a cast of associate producers who could probably fill the void. It might not be one person uh, who's, who who does it like right away. It might be a cast of people. Yeah. But I have to assume that it's like it's a little too big to fail at this point, you know. So maybe if that was the case after the first five years, you know. But then again, if it didn't die after he left back then, and you know somebody filled this place, of course the quality did suffer when he stepped down. But still, I think I think at this point, you know, the momentum carried through. It might not be the same guy. Maybe a few different people until they find the right person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you you got a couple seasons where you can find your way around because the audience will stick with you. Yeah, it's like I mean, like just like you know, the, the brand the brand's there. I mean, it's like you know, it's, it's what it is. Doesn't really have any competition in the time slot, you know. Mm-hmm. So you don't have, you don't have like Mad TV cutting into like the first. Oh, yeah, or anything, you know? that that was the one. That was the one time they had a shot at taking it out. Is uh, ninety five when the ratings were sucking. Everybody said it was dead. They had to overhaul the cast, and then Mad TV came in. And said, "Let's do this." And then it lasted ten seasons. So that's the best it's ever had. Any, you know, the closest ever had to a competition that could take it down. And not to go off on a tangent, Matt TV was great too. I mean, I watched, I revisited, watched a lot of their sketches on YouTube. Yeah, all it's the just time. a different vibe. But, I mean, it's but, a totally different vibe. But it, but it, but it, but it's, but it's canned. It's like being pre-recorded, and it's like it's not doing it live. Well, you know, no. Least, let's say this: uh, in the ten years, it was live for the most part until around season six. When the ratings were starting to dip and they had to cut the budget, and the only way to do that is to film the stuff and then bring it back in. My uh, mom and sister went and saw an episode, I think it's season nine, and they said 90% of the show was canned. And I was like, then what's the point? It's so stupid. Yeah. No, yeah. So I mean, it's still really good. It's just like it's really, it's, you know, it's like, 
part of the reason you watch part, part of the fun of watching SNL. Not, I know we're supposed to be talking about SNL movies. Yeah. Part of the fun of watching SNL is watching them break character, which is always hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or or something unexpected will happen and throw everything for a loop. Right, and, and also seeing how they regroup and how and how they carry forward it also plays their strengths. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. you know, it's that that that's impressive too. I don't know if I could keep it together. What's you know what's Oh, you know, oh, I've lost it on stage. And... I've literally lost it on stage and had told, told everybody just get off stage. And then I had to apologize to the audience. <laughs> Dude, th- th- there was a time when I was had to go. I had to, I think I worked for Osberg when I lived in Portland the first time around. And I had to go go to the door to door and do the spiel. And I forgot my spiel. Uh-huh. And the guy, the guy was being patient. Like, I'll wait till you get my And I said, nah, dude, forget it. I'm out. <laughs> so no. I just gave up on that house. And the guy was willing to listen to me. I was like, nah, forget it. I'm out. <laughs> I'm done. All right, so that is a taste of what's to come in January when we launch our show, Scholars of Sketch. We'll start off with the 75-80 season, uh, or 80, that's a long season. But, you know, those years of SNL and then uh, what the competition was during those years. Cool, cool. All right, everybody, uh, check us out on Facebook under Video Night, and have a good night.